Hello, beautiful beans, angels of the land. You are listening to episode 78, and this episode is going to be slightly different. So, if you're new to this podcast and you're here for some mindset hacks, some neuroscience, then this episode is not about that. It's all about me. It's all about me. All about me. So, maybe go listen to any of the other 76 prior episodes only because I thought. I'm getting like, I feel like I'm getting closer to my beans, my group on the Facebook page, on my Instagram. And there's so much that I get asked about my own personal stories. So I thought, why not? I'm just going to put up a little question box on my Instagram and ask you guys to ask me questions that you want to know about my life, whether it be experiences that I've kind of like referred back to and hinted back to or certain you know, ways that I gained my confidence or mindset or things about my childhood or different relationships I've been in, living alone, living overseas, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, all of that. And I had such an incredible response from you guys. You guys are very like in tune. You guys, I feel like you guys know me more than I realize. And it's really cool to get your questions. So like I said, if you are new to the podcast, of course, feel free to listen to this episode. I love that so much. But It's not going to be your typical mindset, neuroscience, um, mindset hacks kind of episode today. So I do want to make that clear. Lol, I have had some like comments in the past on my um, reviews being like, you spoke about yourself for the first 10 minutes, one star. So please don't give me one star. (laughs) Lol. So this is like my disclaimer. Please don't give me one star about this episode being all about me because it's just what it is. Okay. Now let's, let's kind of... I, I didn't really know how I was going to structure this whole thing because may, like, I was thinking, should I go on like a bit of a journey of what I've done throughout my life? So what I thought I'd do is kind of go over a quick journey of what I've done in my life, my childhood, everything like that, but like a quick skim through. And then I'm going to go and answer specific questions, if that makes sense. So bit of a rundown. I was born and raised in Australia. Um, I am, my, my parents are South American. So I did get a lot of like questions about my cultural background. My mother is Uruguayan, my father is Argentinian um, and then it goes obviously I've got even more like cultures blended in there but let's just keep it simple. So I grew up in a household where I spoke Spanish until the age of like five when I started school and I only started really speaking English um, when I started primary school, I understood it perfectly, of course, because of like TV and you're just exposed to it because I live in Australia. But my parents had this like great fucking idea and that was let's only talk in Spanish in the household. So her Spanish is super, super solid. And mind you, my parents' English is phenomenal. Like they both have accents. I laugh at them all the time. I'm really good at imitating them. If you ever want someone to imitate someone with a Spanish accent, I'm your girl. Um but their English is phenomenal. It's actually better than mine. My mother was always the one that would proofread like all my work at school and at uni and everything like that because she's got an eye for grammar, like English grammar, which is crazy because that's like her second language. But anyway, so they thought we're just only going to speak in Spanish at home. So that way I not only do I learn Spanish, but I retain it for a lot longer because it obviously is harder. The moment I started school, I only wanted to speak English. It was just easier. I'd be speaking English all day long and then I'd come home and want to speak English and they'd always be like, Espanol, habla en Espanol, like speaking Spanish. So I was just like, ugh. And I'd have to like switch back, switch back. And like, thank God that my parents, especially my mother, was always like pushing for me to speak Spanish. And now obviously I have retained it and I'm fluent in both Spanish and English. So that's, I grew up in that household. We had, you know, this was in Sydney, had a lot of like um, my dad's side and my mum's side of the family, all in Sydney. And when I was about 10 years old, my parents decided to just kind of take a leap of faith and move to Noosa. So we kind of uprooted everything and moved to Noosa and I started grade seven in Noosa. Now, prior to that, I was always kind of like within the family dynamic with my cousins and everyone, I was always very confident and outgoing, but just in kind of that bubble. And then at school, I literally had two other friends and it was just myself, Jamila and Kimberly, and it was just the three of us. And that was just our little bubble. Okay. So then when I moved to Queensland, there was like a bit of a like a shock to the system, moving and trying to make new friends. But it actually, for me, jolted me to be more social outside of the family setting. And it kind of, because we had moved away from our cousins and all of that, it kind of forced me to really put myself out there. And to be dead honest with you guys, I it wasn't easy for me. And I, like, I still 
it was reverting back to just having the one or two friends, this and that. And it wasn't until like maybe grade nine, I think it was, that I really started to become more social and like spread my social wings. And I ended up having like big groups of friends in, in high school and getting involved in everything. I was like the cap, house captain, vice captain of the cheerleading squad, lol cheerleading. I watched Bring It On the other day, good times. Um, yeah, I was just involved in a lot of shit. I did dancing outside of school. And fun fact for you guys, I was not into science, not even remotely. I was like dance, drama, um, uh, what else did I do? Like art, all, all those kinds of subjects, Italian, like languages and arts was my thing, okay? And I just – and I would really wanted to be an actor. I think this passion for – okay, up until the age of 11, I wanted to be a lawyer, like hardcore lawyer, d- like defence lawyer. Don't ask, I think, from like watching – Fuck knows what, law and order. Um, And then I decided I wanted to be an actor. And I loved this idea of being on a stage. I loved getting up on a stage. I didn't care what it was, whether it was like reading school notices or whether it was a theatre performance. Just get me on a stage, which kind of explains why I just love podcasting so much because I get to talk to an audience. So then after high school, I took a gap year and just kind of fucked around, worked around in Noosa, then moved to Brisbane, was working there. And then I auditioned, got into Sydney Theatre School, moved to Sydney for a year, did that with my cousin. Then I moved back to Brisbane and I was kind of like, okay, I really want to do acting, but I like, I always want to be busy. And I just was worried that, you know, I might, it might take me a year, five, 10, 20 years for me to get an audition that, you know, actually breaks me into the industry. Like obviously if anyone's in the arts, you know, anyone who knows that it's just like such an unreliable kind of career to, to have like a, a growth plan because so much of it is not in your control. So I thought I'm just going to go to uni because I loved to study. And that's when, like, I started uni, Italian wasn't available and that's what I was doing in high school. And so I was like, oh, fuck, I'll just do, um, I'll do French because it's the closest, you know, like it's the, you know, it's like a Latin language. So I did French and then I thought I'll just pick up history. And the reason I did psychology was purely because it was just an appealing subject at the time. I'm telling you, I signed up for uni not having a fucking clue what I wanted to do. I just thought I might as well just do a degree. It was that blasé. Started it and I started psychology and it was interesting. Trust me, I really enjoyed it. But it wasn't until like halfway through that semester, there was a guest lecturer and he was all about neuroscience and anatomy. And he was talking about the anatomy of the brain and what happens when you get an injury to a certain you know, a lesion or a blow to the head. And I was like, this is fucking amazing. I can't remember the last time I was so, you know, um, absorbed in a topic. Even in high school, I never, I never remember a time that I was so fascinated and just, I couldn't get enough. And when the lecture ended, I was like, I don't want that to end. I just felt like such a nerd. I loved it. I loved the feeling. So I ran down the lecture hall and I said to the lecturer, that was the best thing ever. I loved that so much. I want to do more of these subjects. Is there going to be more? What? How do I do it? And he said, look, you should change your major to cognitive neuroscience instead of behavioral psychology if you like the anatomy and all of that. So I ended up changing my major and I did a double major in cognitive neuroscience and French. And that was in f- and four years later I graduated but that degree was incredible like the ship this was at UQ University of Queensland and the stuff we got to do like I was dissecting human brains in the wet lab there were there were subjects that were all about the visual system where you'd walk into class and they'd give you the 3D glasses and you'd you'd learn how you know 3D movies work and all these really cool optical illusions and it was just the best I had the best time I loved it while I was doing that, I also got qualified as, like kind of near the end of my degree, I got qualified as a Pilates instructor as well. Keep in mind that even though I loved it so much, I still really wanted to do acting. My passion was acting. So this to me was almost, I, I didn't see myself working in the field. I just thought that was incredible to learn. I loved it, but I don't see myself being a psychologist or a scientist, none of that. I just really enjoyed it. And then I got into the fitness industry and I graduated, I was around 23 years old when I graduated. I was I started teaching Pilates at like 22, 23. Then, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to kind of very quickly skim over the next few years and then I'm going to go in and start answering specific questions, okay? So after all of that, I took about five years off before my master's and in those five years, I had a big breakup. I moved to Sydney. 
it was a really intense year. I'll explain that in a bit. And then that caused me to then buy that one-way ticket and I, I went overseas. And I went to Paris for about six months-ish, travelled around as well, came back to Sydney. Then I went back to Paris, came back to Sydney again. And that's when I met another partner who was like this toxic one that I refer to often when I talk about narcissists and stuff like that, met that partner, um, dated for about a year. And then after that ended, I was single for nearly three years before I met Tyrone. And after that ended, that's when I started literally like just about two months after that ended with that toxic relationship, I started my master's. And it was honestly such a saving grace for me doing my master's, even though at the very beginning it was extremely overwhelming because I was still like really fucked up about it. But it really helped me. It pulled me out of it into something that I was super passionate about and did the master's and I finished my master's just about two months ago. So what I want to do now is, of course, go into depth with things about relationships, um, study, career, all these questions that you guys have asked me, confidence, all of that. So I'm going to now start to read out questions that you guys gave me and then go into more detail. I just thought it'd be a good idea to give you a bit of a timeline so you guys can, when I, when I now answer these questions, I can kind of drop back into that timeline I hope this format works. Let's fucking see. Also, this may, I don't know how many questions I'm going to answer, but there were so many. So maybe in a month or two down the track, I'll do another podcast. If this one goes well, we shall see. Okay. So the first question, I've had a lot, like a lot that is similar to this, but I'll just read out two of the questions that are similar is, where did you get your drive and ambition from? Have you always had that inner strength? And another one that's similar is, how did you get to be so confident in yourself? How did you deal with insecurities? So I, like I said before, I was always quite confident, you know, kind of within the family and then in high school and everything. But one thing that really rocked my confidence were two things, the year of 2015 and then after dating that toxic guy. So there were a lot of questions asking about personal challenges as well. So the year of 2015, I'll just give you a bit of an insight, was fucked. Like that, I think a lot of the time people – when you go through massive growth, you can either have it because you've got such a keen interest that you just want to change where you're at to change and you can actually implement massive growth without going through like a hard time. Or you can have a moment that you're like, fuck this, fuck this shit. I need to change it up. I'm not happy. And it's just getting worse and worse. So I, I've never been depressed, but I was in a state of depression for sure for a long time in 2015. So I wouldn't say that I was depressed because it wasn't a chronic thing and it was due to circumstances that were occurring. So that's why I wouldn't call it depression because it was technically acute. But the year of 2015, at the start of the year, I'd been dating this guy for about three and a half years. He was a, a lovely guy. Can't fault him. Like he was a beautiful person, treated me very well. And I was very in love with him. I was 25 at the time. And had never truly been in love before. I'd had other relationships, but until I dated this guy, I realized that those prior relationships, I was not actually in love. Like this was my first real innocent love because prior to that, I'd never even been heartbroken. That's how I knew. Started, like I was dating this guy, he was amazing, loved him so much. I genuinely, and based on how we were as a relationship, I thought I'm absolutely going to spend the rest of my life with him. I had never truly been hurt in a relationship, didn't really know what that would feel like, and I adored him, and I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him. And one day he – we were like – I stayed over at his. We didn't live together together or anything. I stayed over at one night, and then we wake up in the morning, and he was like, oh, it's such a nice day. Why don't we go lie out by the pool and, you know, just hang out? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. I've just got a few things that I've got to get done at home. And he was like, oh, cool, because I've got a few errands to run, so why don't we meet back in two hours? And it was like fucking normal. So I went home, did my shit, grabbed my swimmers, everything, came over, and I knocked on the door, and then he answers the door, and he's just – he's changed. Like his face is different. He's, he's somber. And he like – hugged me for this like prolonged hug and I'm like what the fuck what like what something's changed here and he was like do you want a tea and I'm like it's fucking 38 degrees I don't really want I'm like okay so we sit down and he's like oh because he he was starting to talk to me because I was saying to him that I really wanted to move to Sydney for acting 
And so we had started the conversation, but nothing was set in stone. Nothing was even, no date was set. We'd even discussed that if I were to go, I would go for maybe four months, gauge it, and he would even consider moving to Sydney because he would consider a change. So that's kind of where it was at. It was nothing was locked in. Anyway, so he was like, I'm just stressed about you moving to Sydney and this and that. Um, I don't know how to – and he kept saying, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't know how to explain myself. He literally was fumbling on his words for like a good 10 minutes. And then he's like, no, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just gonna say it. It's got nothing to do with the Sydney move. I just think we should break up. And I remember just being like, what? It was a, a dagger in the heart, twisting. I can't remember – ever experiencing anything like that. My blood literally ran cold. Anyway, so then I was a mess. I was crying. He was trying to explain himself. I was like, what? Like I was totally in denial. I'm like, where did this come from? Are you sure that's what you're trying to say? Anyway, after about 30 minutes of me being inconsolable, I got up at one point and I was like, I have to go. I have to go. Like I'm I'm getting nowhere and I'm literally about to have like a mental breakdown. So I I don't know how the fuck I drove home. Luckily, it was like a five-minute drive because like, I am amazed that I didn't like run myself off the road because I was just like in tears. Anyway, I get home and I remember got home and my mum was there and she was like, oh, my God, what happened? Because I just – I was destroyed. And through like barely being able to get my words out, I explained what happened and I proceeded to spend like the next two weeks on the couch with a – towel a bath towel because tissues weren't enough just crying into it I could barely go into work I did a couple of shifts I was a mess a mess a mess a mess I'd never experienced anything like it and I remember you know I I just felt like how am I going to pick myself up like we both work at the same place I'm going to keep seeing him I don't know what I'm doing that literally in those two weeks I I said that's it I'm moving to Sydney like I'm done I'm moving I've got just like I think I had no exaggeration, about $4,000 in my bank account. That's it, okay? So I thought, I'm, I'm going. And my whole family, not just my parents, my extended family, they're like, maybe you should stay at home for a little bit longer. Like they were worried for me, as you would be. I was a fucking shell of a human being. But they're like, you know, maybe just maybe wait a little bit till you pull yourself together before you move. But the way I looked at it is, especially in that state, like people are fucking dramatic in a breakup. And when I was in that state, I was like, I can't see myself ever getting out of this state. Like we've all been there. I thought it was never going to end. So I thought that I needed to make the change and moving cities would be a really good like shakeup of the situation. So literally two weeks after the breakup or two and a half weeks, I had all my shit in my car and my mum and I, this poor woman, drove down to Sydney with all my stuff on like the second day that I was there like we got like a hotel in Coogee and I was looking for an apartment and I found this studio apartment this apartment was fucking tiny when I say studio I mean like a tiny shoebox so run down it was just like an awful building but it was one block from the beach so I'm like I need to live here I don't care I don't care how run down this building is I don't care how hectic it is like it was fucking it looked like an old boarding house from like the fucking 20s <laughs> like that's the best way to describe it and I was thrilled I'm like this is the best thing and my mom's like oh I don't think so I don't think so and I'm like I have to live here got the place moved in my mum obviously went back luckily for me I have cousins aunties uncles in Sydney um I had Lucy if you guys know Lucy from the happy hour podcast Lucy was living in Sydney at the time my sister so I did have already people in this city to be fair it wasn't like going to a city that I knew nobody and I really like appreciated while it was very fucking hard I appreciated that nobody outside of my family knew that I had gone through this heartbreak in Sydney so I had to apply for work I had to go to job interviews and act like a normal human being and not be a blubbering mess so it forced me to start engaging with people in a normal way and that was really good for me so I I ended up getting literally five jobs in the span of a month and I was hustling hard to get these jobs because I'm like I have enough money to live for about one month that's it if I don't if I don't get a job I'm fucked and I have to like move back home and end my lease so it was a really good motivator for me and that that did a lot of good work but once I had the work I was just still so sad and I'm talking like I probably cried myself to sleep five out of seven nights for a good 10 months like I was a mess and I I didn't really have the tools and I didn't know where to look for the tools to just start feeling better about myself and about the situation I was still so in denial that he would come back that I didn't really start this is why I always say hope is a weak dog right I was hoping that he would come back so I never started my journey of healing because I was in this I was playing a waiting game with with fucking with 
something that didn't exist, right? Then in that year, so that was the start of 2015, then my grandfather passed away and that was horrible. It was horrible. And the whole family was together. It was just an awful, awful time. Then a few months later, our family dog died and I was fucking devastated. And then again, another like few months after that, my grandmother passed away. And I was like, honestly, this is fucked. My, my acting agent was in Sydney and later on in that year, my acting agent dropped me because I think I was just like obviously not pulling my weight with, you know, rocking up to the classes that we had to be doing. And I just, I probably wasn't looking back now, I probably wasn't showing that I was so passionate or proactive because I was in such a bad state. And then after that, my other grandmother passed away. So three grandparents passed away in that year. I had that heartbreak. Um, my agent dropped me. My dog passed away. It was just, I'm telling you, I was literally just getting like fucked over emotionally again and again and again. And we, I was obviously really tight with my grandparents and my family. So for the family, it was also a really, really hard time. Anyway, it was just such a fucked year. And one day I was up in Queensland visiting my parents and I was talking to my dad and we had this conversation and I mentioned, I'm like, I think I just want to go overseas. Like, I think I just want to do this trip. And he had this, and I've mentioned this quote before, I think either on this podcast or the girls podcast, but he said to me, he's like, you've got to be the person to chase change. Never let change chase you in the sense that you should go and do this trip. Like you should start making these changes in your life because you could just sit there and wait for something to come along and it might not be the thing that you want to come along or it might be something worse, you know. So why don't you just start making these changes? So then I got back to Sydney and a couple of weeks later I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm, I'm just – it was a Friday night. I was trying to do something. All my friends and family were busy. So I was just alone in my apartment and I'm like, I'm a fucking 26-year-old woman and I've got fucking nowhere to hang out with. I was just feeling so sorry for myself, playing the victim card hard hate doing that now but at the time I was and I was just in bed watching Netflix and I thought okay I'm just gonna like I don't know what came over me but I started looking at flights on Skyscan I think the conversation that I had had a few weeks earlier with my dad was like ruminating in my head anyway so I went on Skyscanner and I was looking up flights to Paris and I think Paris because I'd studied French and it was like a city of interest I'd been there before but it was such a short-lived time and like I was there for three days that it didn't really you know, I didn't really connect with the city when I was there, but that was the city in my head. It just kind of lit up as Paris was where I was looking for. I found a one-way ticket for 700 bucks in like five months time or four months time or whatever it was. And I just was like, okay, if I can memorize my credit card details from my bed, because I didn't want to get out of bed, lazy, lazy bitch life. And I, I I'm going to buy the, the flight if I can remember it. And so I just punched in all the details. And before I knew it, the flight was purchased. And I'm like, oh my God, it's done. It's done. It's done. So then I had like five months to, you know, like save up as much money as possible, quit my jobs, um, you know, get rid of some stuff, pack up everything, take it back up to Queensland to my parents' place and then just go to Paris. And you guys may have heard this story before because I did mention this story on the Mark Boris podcast. But if you haven't, I'm going to quickly say it. The night before I flew out to Paris, I was in Brisbane. I spent a couple of weeks in Brisbane with my family and friends before I went and I went for a run just to clear my head because I was a bit stressed. And I remember sitting down at the very end of South Bank on this grassy area near the water and just burst out crying. And I'm like, I was crying because of like the weight of all these emotions that I was feeling. But I remember the feeling that I was feeling when I was crying, thinking I wish my ex would like give me a reason. Like I I've come to terms that it's done, but why can't he just tell me why it happened? Because on top of the fact that I had to get over this breakup, I was telling myself like, how can I enter a new relationship if I don't know why? Like, what did I do wrong? What could have been different? And then I had this moment and it was like this really like peaceful moment and it just occurred out of thin air. I can't explain what it was, but I remember thinking like the only person that can give me closure is myself. He could come up to me right now and tell me all the reasons why it ended and nothing would have changed. The outcome would have been the same. And here I am waiting. Like I realized all my, everything I was feeling, I was putting in the hands of somebody else and somebody else who, who isn't responsible for those feelings. Like I know it's hard to come to terms with it. When you break up with someone, you're not, you're not really responsible for your ex's feelings. And here I was thinking that he was when he wasn't, I was. So I was like, this is bullshit. I'm giving the power of my healing to somebody that's not, not even remotely in my life anymore. I couldn't even tell you anything about his life anymore. 
So I was like, wait a minute, that's fucked. I don't want anything from him. I actually, and in an instant, what I wanted changed. I didn't want anything from him. I didn't want to hear from him. I thought I'm the one who's going to give myself closure. And the closure is that it's fucking done. I don't have to have an answer. The closure is that I'm going to be the one that, you know, takes the next step. So then I was like full of beans and energy. And then I like ran home, went to Paris the next day. And I remember getting there and it was like pouring with rain and I like got off at the right metro station but walked like 10 blocks in the rain, literally 10 blocks in the rain in the wrong direction Then was asking people in French where I was going Then I had to go all the way back, finally get to my um, apartment. It was like an, kind of an Airbnb little apartment I got for myself. So I checked in, had a shower and then I ran down, got wine and cigarettes obviously as one does when in Paris you smoke a cigarette clearly went back to my little balcony where you could see the Eiffel Tower and it was just this hot summer night where the sun doesn't set for ages and the smell of the street was almost like perfume. I can still smell it now. And I remember sitting there lighting up the cigarette, drinking a glass of red wine and thinking like this is this is exactly where I've got to be. Like I'm in the – exactly everything has happened for the right reason because it's brought me to this moment. I never felt so much in the right place at the right time than right there. It was. It felt like – my life is starting fresh from this moment. It was such a cool experience. And then from there, I obviously spent, you know, the six months in Paris. But that's kind of the catalyst to what gave me so much more confidence and what pushed me. And this, I think for a lot of people, when they have a moment where it might be one event or it might be for me, it was like this year-long slog where you think I'm done feeling this way. I felt personally, I, I'm sick of the sound of my own voice. I'm sick of playing the victim. I can just imagine how fucking sick of the same shit that I've been saying again and again, all the people around me must be. Like my family and friends were beautiful and they never complained. And if, oh my God, they were the best support. But fucking, they must be like, shut the fuck up and get over it. Like that's probably what they were thinking. They were just... I just repeated myself so much and I was such a victim and it got to a point where I was over it. Even I was sick of it and I thought this is fucking ridiculous and you need to make a change in your life and shake things up and I did that and I think that for doing that, that's what's given me so much power knowing that I can control so much more than I was giving myself credit for in the past. So I could definitely say that that definitely shaped massively, that experience shaped who I am today, big time. I look back at who I was and it was just um, like, of course, the essence of me has always existed, but I'm such an evolved version of myself in so many ways. I'm a lot more accountable. Um, I pay attention to when I'm choosing to suffer instead of just in pain, um, when I'm spiraling on something negative, when I actually do have the opportunity to pull myself out of a certain situation. I'm, I am a lot more accountable in those things. And that's helped me improve my relationships a lot because I realized that I, in the past, have definitely known how to play the victim and kind of played that card a bit too much. And to the extent where then I was like scorned and I'm like, I don't want to be in a relationship. Relationships are fucked. And I was like, that language is so unhelpful for myself and everyone around me. No one wants to hear that shit. I was even like annoyed to hang out with a couple, which is fucking ridiculous. Cause then after, after I learned that and I grew from that, I've completely separated my experiences from experiences that people are having around me. And if someone's in a happy, healthy relationship, why can't I hang around them if I'm single? You know, like I really grew like that and I stopped. I saw which thoughts were holding me back and what was really a pathetic mindset to have in a lot of situations. And I learned to be way more accountable and pull myself up on my bullshit because having an experience like that, that was so, you know, growth focused and also positive and beautiful when I, you know, traveled alone and learned so much about myself. I was with myself alone while experiencing new things in a new country, you know, really trying to brush up on my French it was, yeah, I realized there's so much joy to be experienced in your life and you've just created it for yourself out of thin air. You, you went and did it. So why can't you apply that in your everyday life? It doesn't have to be in Paris on the other side of the world. You could be doing this in other things in your life every day. You can wake up and make a choice. And that's what I started to learn. And it does take pulling yourself up on your bullshit. I had to really look back and say, that was ridiculous. That was pathetic. That was like, yes, you went through something hard, but was it necessary to then spiral and have these mo when, when I could have done things to pull myself out of it, if that makes sense. Okay. Now another question completely different is how did you and Tyrone meet? So I was 
I'll go into the narcissistic psycho later, but I was single for a few years and was in such a beautiful place. Because one thing that I learned after my first heartbreak, and this is personal preference, like I don't judge on how someone chooses to get over someone. I know people that for them, they prefer to go out straight away and start meeting new people. And for them, they're rewriting stories in their head and that really helps them. I, for me, that never worked for me. There was something in me that if I tried to meet someone when I was still heartbroken over someone else, it just felt weird. And I felt like I was just wasting the other person's time and my time. So what I learned really worked for me is that I never wanted to be heartbroken and then use someone else to be the cause of my happiness again. I thought that if I were to do that, then if the next thing broke up, then I would have the residual heartbreak of, you know, two relationships because I never did the healing of the first one. So after that second narcissistic person, I, um, I really did a lot of work on myself in a great way. It was fantastic. I was listening to a lot of Eckhart Tolle. I really took up meditation quite seriously. I was doing my master's, which gave me a massive sense of purpose. I was loving what I was doing. And, you know, I re- I had great, great experiences with my friends. This was obviously before lockdown. So I was going up to Queensland literally once a month, seeing all my girlfriends, seeing my family. I, I was really doing a lot of work on myself to purely find, be the source of my own happiness, to find my happiness and not it be due to a new relationship. So I got to a point where it then became so good that I wasn't ever wanting a relationship because I was like, oh fuck, I've got my, my life is in such a sweet spot right now. Everything is perfect. And I've just really caused so much of my own joy that how how can a partner fit into my life? And I wasn't, I wasn't um, jaded anymore. I wasn't like, I don't want a relationship. I was truly open to love, but I thought, yeah, I'm open to it, but how is it possible when my life is so good right now without it? I just couldn't see it clicking, you know? And I spoke to my mum a few weeks prior to meeting Tyrone and she said, you know, but like, do you see yourself dating someone? Do you see? And I was like, you know what? I do, but I just don't know how it would fit in. And if I am going to see someone, it better not be now because I'm so busy. I've got this book deal. Blah, blah, blah. This is a year ago. I'm, I'm in my master's. I've, I've got so much shit on that this is just not the time. And of course, when you don't, you know, um, stress about having something. And when you just think when you least expect it, because you're not stressing about not having it, that's obviously when it happens. And I was in my apartment building with my friends, Luke and Nicole, and we were just having some drinks and we we're going to go meet live up in Potts Point for dinner. And they know a guy, they, they were like, oh, we know a guy in the building. His name's Tyrone. We met him out. He's a legend. Um, have you ever met a guy in the building called Tyrone? And I'm like, no, nah, never. I don't meet many people in the building. They're like, oh, imagine if we bumped into him. I was like, yeah, imagine. Anyway, so we're walking out and in the lobby, Tyrone is sitting there and Tyrone yells out, Luke, Nicole. He recognizes them straight away. So we walk over and I say, hi. He says, hi. We chat for about 30 seconds. We're like, oh, we're going up for dinner. He's like, well, I'm having drinks at mine. So after dinner, you guys should come over and have some drinks. So after dinner, we went over to his. We had some drinks. We were a little bit like, I was a bit drunk by that point. We all were a bit lit. And then we were leaving at around 2 a.m. And as we're leaving, Tyrone's like, can I have your number? And I was like, yeah, sure. Punched my number in his phone because I got along with – we got along really well. Punched my number in his phone, gave it back to him and left. Anyway, the next day I'm with Liv. She was getting her nipple pierced, I believe. And I'm waiting and I get a DM on Instagram from Tyrone and it was like, hey, how was the rest of your night? You gave me a fake number. And I'm like, lol. I did. I actually genuinely did not mean to do that. Now, like I wouldn't give someone a fake number. If I didn't want to give them my number, I would just say, hey, look, I'm not really interested. Um, but obviously I gave him a fake number. And what had happened, he actually called my phone and someone else answered. And, he, and they were like, oh, it's the wrong number. And he went to his PT and he was having a training session. He was telling his PT about it. And he was like, I really vibed with this girl, but... Then like I went to call her and it turns out she gave me a fake number. And the trainer was was like, yeah, well, you know, that's women, you know, that's just, you know, standard, whatever. But he was like, I refuse to believe that. I'm just going to DM her on Instagram. So then he still messaged me. Thank God he did. And then I replied being hours later. I was like, hey, ha, ha, ha. I'm so sorry. That was actually a mistake. Here's my real number. And then I didn't hear back from him. And then I just forgot about it. I thought, oh, whatever. Like it's it's done. And then a couple of days later, he messages me on my real number, lo and behold, my actual phone number. And he was like, hey, it's Tyrone. How's it going? Um, I'm actually going to Byron for about 10 days. But when I come back, I'd love to take you out for dinner. 
And I was like, what the fuck? Who the fuck booked someone in 10 days in advance? But I was like, love this energy. But at the same time, I've kind of been like, I understand how things work and I understand how many flakes there are. So without being pessimistic, I'm like, I'll just be whatever. So I just said to him, that sounds great. Why don't you message me when you get back? Have a great holiday. So I'm like, don't fucking fuck around in the meantime. Just go have a great holiday with your mates. If you still, if you're still into it when you're back, then let's do it. Cause everyone's, everyone's all about like throwing the net wide and seeing what catches. Whereas I'm like, I'm not going to fuck around unless it's for real. So then he messages me the next day and it was like dinner's booked 7.30 p.m. Um, Saturday night, this restaurant, bang, bang, bang. And I was like, this dude has literally just made a dinner booking for like 10 days in 10 days time. And I was actually, I love that shit. I love someone and not just with men, but anyone who can be like, bang, this is the plan. This is what we're doing this. Because obviously if I didn't like the restaurant, if I couldn't do the time, I could just say I couldn't do it. But I love someone who takes the fucking reins and makes a decision. So I was very impressed. And then I was like, okay, great. Sounds good. Lock it in. I'll talk to you when you get back. And then he kept messaging me every day, like bringing up things that I had told him the night we met. And he remembered everything I had said to him. He remembered about the book I was writing, my final exams, the podcast. And it was really like in tune with what I had told him. Then fast forward, he gets back. We go out for dinner the first night and literally within, and obviously the date went amazingly. And within about, I'm not exaggerating, about three or four dates, in the span of a week or two weeks, we already knew that it was exclusive. There were no games. We were just so on the same wavelength. There was no like, oh, um, do I message here? Or uh, there was none of that. It was absolutely no games. We just instantly were so like drawn to each other, very interested in each other. Very, we had that that emotional connection straight away. And and then very soon after, we ended up becoming like having the title of girlfriend-boyfriend because we were sitting down at a restaurant probably like two or three weeks into the relationship and he's on the phone to one of his mates and he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm just here. I'm just here with my girlfriend. And then he gets off the phone. He's like, yes, girlfriend. I said you are my girlfriend. <laughs> and that was it. And that was how we, you know, that we, it was locked in and it's just it's just worked out incredibly well ever since. Okay, another question regarding Tyrone. How do you and Tyrone overcome disagreements? Um, very, very well. He's by far the most emotionally intelligent guy I have ever dated. He is very in tune. He has no problems discussing. If I bring something up, he has no problems talking about it and um listening to what I have to say and to be fair we've never we've never had a fight but we've disagreed on certain things or we've said oh like in future next time we could do this differently or whatever and he's so good at not only listening to what I have to say but giving his you know thoughts on it um, validating what I'm what I'm feeling or saying and then remembering it and bringing it up he's he's so good at that and also very, very in tune. I think one of the things that works really well with our relationship is that he's very aware of how I live my life and not trying to change anything about who I am and what I do. Because it's a given that you're going to have to have compromises in a relationship. You have to, you know, shift certain things to bring your two lives together. But we try our very best not to make each other stop doing anything that's not necessary to stop. And like, even when we started dating, he said to me, he's like, I know how close you are with Liv. If you ever feel that you need more time just with you and Liv or just with you and your friends, just let me know. I never want to get in the way. Like things like that. He's just very, very, very in tune, very emotionally intelligent. So luckily we've never had any arguments. And when we do disagree, we're just both so willing to come to the table. And I had never experienced that in the past for two reasons. Uh, one of the reasons was that some of the people I dated were awful. But even when when the people that I dated were good, it was a pride thing from both ends. I myself was very proud to admit that I had done something wrong. So I would be maybe a bit too like standoffish in this disagreement and I couldn't admit my wrongs and vice versa. So it's a maturity thing from definitely my end. But also there were people that I dated where it was never a, a, a disagreement. It was like a fight. So, Yes. Okay, this question, next one. What is one thing you would like to change about yourself, physically or trait? I wouldn't change anything about myself physically. Um, I'm very happy with 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 what my body can do, what it looks like. I've I've you know I remember when I was younger, I used to like hate that I had small boobs, and now I fucking love it. I literally love it. Like I'll pull padding out of things because I'm like, no, this is a part of me. If I really wanted to change it, I could pay to get it changed. So. 
either learn to love it or do something about it. And I just decided, no, I'm going to change it. I love it. I fucking love it about myself. And I kind of took that approach with every part of my, my body. So physically I wouldn't change a thing. And uh, personality, I one thing that, that – or trait, I wouldn't say personality, but it, one of my traits is that I still find myself I can get very easily distracted. And when I put into practice what I preach, then I, I do things way more efficiently and properly. So it's just a matter of always putting into practice what I preach and that's when I get the most things done. So that's one thing that I'm, I'm – I wouldn't say changing, but I'm working on and it is getting better and better. I've also learned to be less proud and take feedback on and take criticism and not be so emotionally attached to things. I think I used to be a lot more like walls up if someone would criticize me, whereas now I'm learning to accept the criticism or if it's something unsolicited and it's not a constructive criticism to not let it get to me and just like push it away. Whereas in the past I would massively let it get to me and I would ruminate over something that was said for so much longer than was necessary. What is one thing you would tell your younger self? That nothing that I've done is a waste. I think there were times in my life where I thought, oh my God, all this has been a waste or everything I did with acting has been a waste or I've wasted a few years because I'm doing my master's so late. None of it was a waste. I started blogs. I started like a t-shirt brand when I was like 24. All these things that at the time felt like a failure because they never took off. But now it's all kind of culminated in all these weird kind of skills and and lessons that have brought me to where I am today. And I don't think that without, if I had missed out on one or, or a bunch of those things, would I be where I am today now? Probably not. And I think that in in your 20s, there's this search for what am I doing with my life? What's my purpose? Where am I? And as long as my advice to anybody, like especially if you're young, younger, my advice would be as long as you're always moving and taking action and doing things, it's never a waste, never a waste. You are always growing. You are always learning. Who cares if you spent five years in a relationship and it ended? You still existed. It's not a waste. You still lived. You still learned. You learned about relationships. You learned about love and you learned about heartbreak and healing. You know, like it's never, you know, in a career, you should never think, oh, I might as well just stay because if I leave, it's a waste. Never have that mentality. Nothing is a waste, no matter how much time you've given it, no matter what, because there's always growth and something to be learned. And this fear of, is it a waste? I think holds so many people back. And this fear of failure when something doesn't work out instead of thinking, okay, um, I'm interested to see now how that will serve me as a lesson in the future. Now, when something doesn't work out for me, I literally just think, I wonder how this is going to crop up in in one year, five years, 10 years time as a lesson, as something that's now benefited me. That's kind of how you want to look at it every time. So that's, you know, in a very long roundabout way, that's what I would say to my younger self. What is your happiest, most cherished childhood memory? It would be um, every summer during, like after we had moved to Queensland, every summer we would go like my parents, my sister and I, we would go down to Sydney. We would come down to Sydney and we'd see all the family and we'd do like Christmas in Sydney and New Year's in Sydney. And then the whole fucking family would do like a road trip. Everyone, grandparents, aunties, uncles, cousins, everyone would go all all come up to Noosa, to our house in Noosa and everybody would stay in this house. Like all the kids, teenagers, everyone would be like a mattress city in the living room and all the bedrooms were taken up by like grandparents, aunties, uncles, my parents. So there'd be like... 16, 18 people in the one house. It was the best. And we would have this big table outside and in the mornings we'd all put like breakfast out there. We'd all sit around the table and we would probably, there was always people sitting at that table from morning to night. We'd all have all these meals around the table and, you know, we'd leave to swim in the pool or go to the beach or go, you know, on and on. But there was always people coming and going around that table. And there's a word in Spanish called sobremesa and it it's – it's a word that doesn't exist in English and it basically is the time after eating a meal that is spent around the table sharing stories and sharing conversation with your family or with whoever's at the table and it's called sobremesa. It's kind of like like over the table, I guess, would be the translation for it. And we had hours and hours and hours of sobremesa and our family loves to chat and have conversations and debate and share stories and share goals and share everything. And one thing that I can truly say is that 
the the biggest lotto I've ever, ever won, the biggest, you know, luck that I've ever had is the family that I was born into for sure. Like I can hand on my heart say, and this is rare, I, I, I'm finding, I, there's not one fucking toxic person in my family. They're all beautiful people who are there to just love each other. I could walk into my auntie and uncle's homes, any of my aunties and uncle's homes and feel like I'm there with my parents. Like they're an extension of my parents, you know, and my cousins are like a, an extension of my siblings. It is just that would be the absolute highlight of my childhood, those moments around the table of Sobremesa. And we still experience that, but not to the same level. Like my grandparents are no longer here. So, it, you know, it's, it is different, but we still have that. And I think once this generation starts having kids, we're going to have like a whole new wave of, of those memories again. And that to me, like priceless, priceless, priceless. Nothing I've ever experienced, not even like the craziest things come close to what you can have with the people that are closest to you, in my opinion. What do you consider, sorry, next question. What do you consider deal breakers in a relationship? Possessiveness for sure. Possessiveness is the biggest deal breaker and also lack of trust. The way I look at trust is that trust, you always begin with a full bucket of trust and it is there to be broken. It shouldn't be, especially when you're entering a relationship, it shouldn't be you have to earn my trust. No, 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 no. You have to enter with 100% trust both ways. And then if someone does something to break it, then you cross that bridge when you come to it. But this idea of earning trust is a very toxic notion in a relationship. So someone, if you start dating someone where you have to earn their trust, red flag, and someone who is possessive over you, that basically means they don't trust you. Someone who's trying to own your time or change something about you, that's just absolutely an absolute deal breaker in any relationship. Okay, this question is a really good one. How to differentiate between letting what is meant for you to blah, 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 blah. how to differentiate between letting what is meant for you to come versus personal action. So the way I look at it is you always want to be taking action, always, always work towards something, but you never want to fear not having that thing, if that makes sense. The moment you want something, but you fear not having it more than wanting it, that's when you resist it. That's when you push it away. That's when you spend too much of your energy, whether it feels like it or not, that's when you spend too much of your energy focusing on the lack instead of focusing on the having of it. So you always want to have a concept of what it is that you're working towards and always take action. Even if the action is slightly like not as direct as you want it to be, you're always moving, you're always doing something. Action creates more action. Action creates movement. It creates opportunities. It creates connections. It creates situations in your life. If you have inaction while you're waiting for something to come, then you're going to start to focus on what's not happening. So always prioritize action and always realize that when you're moving and also be open to it. I don't like to think, okay, I want this exact outcome. This is it. This is it. And I'm going to do these precise steps to get there. What I like to do is I think, okay, I want to have a really successful podcast, for example. What can I be doing to have that? I could be putting out consistent content. I could be looking at which episodes do well and listening to what my listeners actually want, doing more of that, engaging with my audience. I could be, you know, keeping my study up, keep learning myself so I can be sharing that knowledge. There's a lot of things within my action to make that podcast successful. But what's ultimately not in my control is if people are going to listen. So I will put my focus on what I can control. If you're doing this step-by-step -step process where a lot of the steps are not directly in your control, that's when I think you could be blocking things coming your way. You just focus on what you can do and you're open to new opportunities as they come your way because you could have this crazy timeline. Like I don't love timelines either. You could say I have to have this done in six months, but what if another opportunity sweeps by and it pushes the timeline you had to 12 months, but in that you learned something massive and you were able to do this really cool thing. Fuck the timeline. It was worth it if that makes sense. So always prioritize action, but be open to opportunities as they come because time will pass anyway. Okay, what are your career goals? Do you have it all planned out? Not at all. I don't have it all planned out. I've got so many things that I want to be doing, so many things that I'd like to achieve. And there's certain things that I can actually be actioning right now to expand what I'm doing, to turn it more into like a business and create more like more avenues of different things to offer. Um, 
But at the same time, there's also things that I want to do that I have no idea how I'm going to achieve it. And it's just a concept in my mind that I have that eventually I might have an opportunity that presents itself that I can follow through or something can link to it and do it. Like I'd love to host my own show on like Netflix about the brain or the mind or, you know, people that like think differently and shit like that. Um, I would, I've always imagined having like a brick and mortar kind of business where I integrate mindset and um, wellness and fitness and all things to do with brain health and shit like that. So there's all these ideas that I have floating around, but my current goals are focused around expanding what I'm currently doing. And if you talk to me about a five-year plan or a 10-year plan, I don't have one because I think I almost don't want to know where I'll be in five years. I don't want to like cock block what could be in five years. As long as I'm always growing and working towards something, it'll probably be bigger than what I had set out for myself in five years time. Another question. Did you always know what you wanted to do? I always knew what I wanted to do, but that thing that I wanted to do has always evolved, if that makes sense. So in other words, I've never been in a situation where I didn't know what I wanted with my life. Like when I wanted to be an actor, I fucking wanted it. And then when I wanted to, you know, do fitness, I really want. So there was always something I wanted, but that want has evolved many times over. And that's why I don't, like I just said, I don't want to put crazy parameters because what if my want continues to evolve? One thing that I do that I can pretty much certainly say, it's my true, true purpose and happiness and like thing that I adore is the brain neuroscience and my purpose that I've discovered is helping people change their relationship with themselves. That's my greatest thing. If And someone's another question was, what do you want to be remembered for? And I would love to be remembered for someone that helped somebody change their relationship with themselves for the better. That would be like, oh, if I could die and that's what I was remembered for, I'd be fucking thrilled as a dead corpse. Next question, why did you choose not to pursue counselling or psychology? I think that finally, because like what I'm kind of doing now is like massive group kind of counselling, if you want to call it that. But the reason I never wanted to get into that is because I was too into the science, the pharmacology, the anatomy, all of that. And I loved what I realised that I was really passionate about was talking to people about what I had learnt. It's almost like I wanted to in some way, shape or form be a kind of a teacher, but also uh, like kind of a counsellor as well. And what I'm doing now has has merged those two loves perfectly. So I think that's why I never went down that specific route. Next question. What do you love most about yourself? Probably my resilience, I think. My ability to very quickly move on from a situation that hasn't worked out for me, especially like as I've gotten older, I've been able to do it quicker and quicker. And turn it into something that's going to work for me or just be able to let it go. Like I've noticed that as I've grown, I've gotten more and more resilient and I really have appreciated that about myself. It's really gotten me further than what I would have thought because of that. Okay, next one. This is a great one. Your parents and their parenting style. So they were, if you've listened to my attachment theory um podcast, which I couldn't even tell you what number episode that is, but they were very much secure attachment. So they were very loving, very present, but never, never overbearing or overprotective helicopter parenting. Like they were, it felt like they were too strict when I was younger, but as I got older, I realized that they were just, I think, parenting quite like really well. And, you know, as I started getting older in high school, they were giving me more and more and more liberties. And it was, I feel like it was quite a good smooth transition. Um, I have a fucking great relationship with my parents, but when I was up until I was like 18, it was very much like, I was always good friends with them, but it was very much like, we are your parents first. We're here to teach you and protect you. And then we're your friend second. It was not like, we're going to be your friend and then not parent you properly and not teach you the lessons you need to learn. Um, so it was very much, we are your parents and then there's the friendship. Whereas now it's very much, of course, still the parents, still the mentor, but very much a friendship, if that makes sense. I've had, I have and have had an incredible relationship with both of them and they're often, even now, and they will be forever, my sounding board for a lot of ideas. I can go to them for anything. They've always, they've never pushed their ideas onto me. Another question was what's like my 
religion or spirituality. So I'm an atheist. I'm not religious at all. But my, and my parents are not religious at all. But they pretty much raised us, myself and my sister, and they always said, like, if you want to go to a church or whatever, you let us know and we'll take you there. Um, they never got they never tried to push their ideas onto us and they made us feel like if we did want to follow a religion or whatever that was up to us and that was our decision to make um neither of us made that decision but it was never you know and that 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 kind of went across with all decisions in our lives the main thing that they said to us is like you are absolutely going to finish high school and once you finish high school then you choose what you do. Like they really valued education, but not to the extent where they told us what subjects we had to choose, nothing like that. They were like, you just need to, at the very least, get your high school education, do as best as you can. And then anything you want to do past that is your decision. And they've always backed my sister and I in anything that we wanted to do. They've never told us an idea is too crazy or stupid or whatever. Even if they thought it, they didn't say it. And they've never said, I told you so about anything. If we went and did something and then it fucking backfired and it wasn't good, they were always there to kind of help us pick up the pieces. Like they never were like, I told you so. You should have never done that. Never. So I can, yeah, they're incredible support fucking phenomenal parents and when I become a parent I'll definitely you know learn a lot from them for sure another question do you have any regrets oh that's a really good question because I don't I don't think I do because normally when I look at a regret it's normally you, you can regret something you didn't do I don't think you can regret something you did because at the time you obviously did it because you thought it was a good idea. So if I think about any regrets I have, it probably only, it's nothing in any choices that I've made because it's led me to where I am and I'm thrilled, but probably the only regrets I have are not standing up for myself more in situations that really were not good, like with, with, you know, emotionally abusive partners I have had two of them and there were moments like that still are clear in my head and I think why didn't I fucking just say go to a fucking therapist you fucking psychopath or why didn't I just leave earlier or why you know I wish I had my back more in those situations so I understand that obviously I've grown now and I would be different if I was the same person who I am now back then. Obviously, I would have dealt with those situations differently. So it also does come into, you know, how emotionally evolved you are. Um, so I can't really regret it that much. But, yeah, there were, there were certain things that I wish I could have stood up for myself more in the past. And that would be one lesson that I'd love to hand down to my younger self or someone who's younger who's listening. Just don't be afraid to stand up for yourself. Okay, next question. What were some of the things that helped you return to yourself during stages of poor mental health? So I think in those like really tough times, running was like my savior. That was one of the things that I knew that even if I had to drag myself out of my apartment, I knew that when I returned, that feeling would be the best I would feel for the rest of the day. Like that would be the highlight. So yeah, I think I carry a really soft spot in my heart for running because it's like done so much therapy for me and I don't run nowhere near as much. But I actually ran the other day, I did a 6K run and I was like, fuck, that is just, that feeling is just priceless. Okay, guys, there's so much more that I wanted to say. I'm just going to answer one more question and I'm just so frustrated that I didn't get through to nowhere near as much. So maybe if this podcast, if this episode does well and if I get good feedback from you guys, I'll probably do a follow-up maybe in two or three weeks um, if you guys want. But I'll do the last question for, for this episode. And the question is, what would you say is your greatest achievement? Um, I've got a couple. I would say completing my master's because I like for me I love studying and that was by far the hardest like mental feat that I've done but the thing that's brought me like the most satisfaction in my life has been the podcast for sure the connection that I've had like this community has been created in the last 18 months out of thin air and it is just you guys don't know how grateful I am every day when I do my meditation. There's a part in my meditation where I go through like what I'm grateful for. And one of the thing, obviously my family. And the next thing is 
always this community. Like you guys don't understand how much I fucking love and appreciate you all. What we have going I think is something really special and that would have to be one of my greatest achievements for sure. And it's not just me who's done it. Like it's everyone who's like come to the table and and grown and helped each other in the in the community that we have. I think it's just fucking amazing to be honest. I think it's amazing. And another great achievement other than that would be and I fucking I'm going to have to go over this in my next um, episode answering these questions, but it would be taking the fucking leap of faith and going overseas alone. Fuck, that was amazing. And I learned so much and I had no idea how it was going to pan out, but it was infinitely better than I could have ever imagined. So next time I do this episode, what I'm going to cover, because I obviously didn't, is experiences in Paris, moving alone, all those things about being overseas alone and, and taking that dive and how it was and did I set myself up or was I prepared? I'll be going into that and I am going to be answering all the questions about the being with a narcissistic partner, how it was after the breakup, what kind of unfolded from that, all that toxicity, all of that kind of stuff. And then a bit more into like launching the podcast and business and all of that. So I'll be answering those kinds of questions. But this is a fucking long episode. It's already past the hour mark. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I kind of enjoyed sharing a bit more about myself with you guys. I think it's really cool because even though – like I do learn a lot about you guys. You guys share a lot of your personal stories on the Facebook page and I feel like I'm getting an insight into the community. Obviously not each and every one of you, but I do feel like I know you in a weird way and I feel that you guys know me as well and this is like a cool wave of just sharing a little bit more about myself and just being a little bit more just candid and open with you guys and I really hope that you enjoyed that and you, I don't know, got got something out of it, I hope. Uh, and yeah, that's it for today. I love you all so, so much. I love you all my bits. So remember, as always, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.